There it is, and we are back into the book of Romans. This is uh, um, our fourth installment in this sermon series, and I am excited about the conversations that I hear that are going on between people saying, hey, in our small group we've been discussing this, in our small group we've been wrestling with that, and man, I want to stay true to the Scripture, but I don't want to lose my compassionate heart, and I just want you to know that when those are the words coming out of your mouth, that is just Jesus speaking through you, because the church was never given permission to throw rocks at any anybody. Um, but remember, as Paul is writing to the, 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 the Romans, he's not writing to like all of Rome. He's writing to the church that's in Rome. So he is writing to Jews and non-Jews alike, Jews and Gentiles who have come to believe in Jesus to some degree, and he is sharing these things that he needs to share with them. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about mind fields. Okay, I want to talk to you about mind fields because I believe that as we go into probably one of the most popular um, chapters of the book of Romans, for people that have studied the book of Romans, chapter 8 is what we're going to look at today. This is the place where we grab a hold of some things and begin to ask questions. And the one that I want you to ask today is, what do you really believe about you as a spiritual person? And what do you think God believes about you as a spiritual person? Okay, we're going to look at a couple of passages in here, and then I just kind of want to share some things. Last week, um, Pastor Janice shared with us up here, and she talked about our sin nature and admitting the fact that we're sinners and that we are in need of a Savior, and it's this nature inside of us that wants to be in charge, wants to sit on the throne of our hearts. It wants to dictate what we will and will not do. Our sin nature, which, which is just our humanity. It's just our humanity, okay? Our humanity always wants to survive, always wants to be first, always wants to make sure it gets its own. And when you begin to say things like, no, please, go first, you begin to push back against what the Scripture calls your flesh or your humanity. When you give preferential treatment to other people, you begin to push back against what is inside of you that is called your flesh or your humanity. And you and I are called to fight against that which is inside of us. And remember, she kind of did that Paul does Dr. Seuss sort of thing, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do, the things that I don't want to do, I do, the things that I, you know, wish I would never do and I hate, I do, and the things that, you know, I really love, I never do those things. And pretty soon you were just sitting here going, man, why go to church? You know, I, what on earth are you telling us here, Paul? And Paul is just saying, listen, I'm a human being like the rest of you. And you will not be perfect on this side of heaven. You will strive to be, as the scripture says, be ye therefore perfect as the Lord is perfect. But that word perfect means whole. And so every once in a while I take time and I stop and I, I describe a Greek word to you. And there's a reason for that. Because the translation from 50 years ago doesn't translate into our colloquialisms today. It really doesn't. Not throwing rocks here, but 200 years ago, if you had come to America and began to say this is a very happy gay place, it would mean something entirely different today. Not here to throw rocks. I'm just showing you our language continues to change. And so when, when people say, well, that version of the Bible, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. 
It does, but sometimes we just have to go back to the original language that it was written in and say, what does this particular word mean? So throughout this whole sermon series, we are kind of doing this thing. Janice, Pastor Janice says our invitation is to come away from a sinful lifestyle, a life of sin. And listen, I'm, I'm talking about lying. I'm talking about cheating. I'm talking about, here's a big one, okay? I'm talking about come away from gossip. Come away from heterosexual immorality. Come away from whatever it is that is separating you from God. And probably more than anything, come away from the pride that if I can rationalize it out, then that's how God did it. Because it was God that say, my ways are not your ways, and neither are my thoughts your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And so at all times we come back and say, it doesn't always make sense, but I'm going with the scripture on this one. And let the Lord reveal it to us. So, as we press into this scripture, we need to understand inside of our own lives that we are more than conquerors. And what do you believe about you? So as I was thinking about this thing and the voices that come into our ears on a daily basis, the one that says you're not going to make your payments at the end of the month, you don't make enough money, you're never going to, you're stupid, you're fat, you're ugly, you're skinny, um, you have brown hair, you have blonde hair, um, nobody loves you, nobody will ever love you, you'll never succeed, this is the most you'll ever get, um, your education won't allow you to go on in life and see, it, all of these things that bring us to the place to begin to say, can God even use me? Does he even like want me? Does he want me? And Paul is going to sum this whole thing up by saying, you and I are more than conquerors. And what we think about who we are matters as you get up and go through every day. I was thinking about minefields because I'd read an article one time um, in uh, National Geographic. I used to get that, and I absolutely loved it. Um, used to do a lot of drawings and paintings out of it because it was a, it was a great you know, uh, place to go and be inspired. But I remember I was reading an article one time about you know, um, the leftovers of Vietnam um, you know, and all the minefields that are there, um, all the mines that were placed there. And nobody knows where they are, and there's various peoples, and it's not just this particular war, but there's various people that will spend time various organizations trying to find all the mines because inadvertently 10, 15, 20, 30 years after the wars are over, people are still stepping on mines and it's blowing off legs. And I began to think about that for whatever reason and I said, this will fit right into the message on Romans chapter 8 because you and I have been through struggles, haven't we? Think of your biggest struggle, your biggest hurdle. For some of you, it will be rejection. For some of you, it will be a health issue like cancer. For, for some of you, it will be just like, like a horrible bankruptcy. For some of you, it will be a, a conflict that ended a friendship. What's that biggest war that you have fought to this day? Because how you fought that war and the way you were doing, the enemy put mines in your life back there. And the crazy part is, you're still stepping on some of those mines today. It's called bitterness. And those little bitternesses are there and you step on one and it's, it's, it's like what's referred to as a bouncing Betty. You hear it click, you step back, it jumps up in front of your face, it destroys your whole day. The worst one I ever heard and I'm just going to straight up say, a wedding I wished I had never done. 
as a pastor. In 27 years, I can count one. Thank you, Jesus, for that. On the honeymoon, somebody said to their spouse, I wish I had never married you. You can't take that back. Those words are constantly in your head and they're constantly in your heart. The things that come out of your mouth when you squeeze that toothpaste tube, so to speak, you can't push. You can get some back in. Today's technology has done wonderful things, okay? But you can't get it all back in. And you can't make it go away. And it's a mine in a minefield that is always there for the rest of that relationship, which ended four and a half years later. Destroyed it. And every time that one person got up, they kept hearing these words, I wished I had never married you. Whenever they tried to do something romantic, I wished I had never married you. And I'm just picking one example. That's just the quickest one that comes to mind is that. But listen, you go through it as well. Man, you didn't get that promotion. I'll never, I'll never get that position. It's never going to happen for me. I'll never get to move forward. I'll never get married. I'll never buy a house. I'll never be able to grow in my relationship to Jesus to where I can do this or that. I'm not good enough as a singer. I can't play well enough. Man, there's no small group that wants me in their small group. We hear those things and the enemy uses them over and over and over. And for some silly reason, and I am a, I'm just as prone to it as you are, we believe it. I walk into a room full of pastors and the first thing the enemy says in my head is, you have a Bible college degree and they're all seminarians. You don't belong here. I hear that. Listen, I'm just being honest with you. I hear that every time I walk into a room full of pastors. I do. And thank God in heaven, my wife, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will whisper and say, do you have a problem with the size of your church? No, I don't. Is the church moving forward? Yes, it is. Then what on earth do you need that these people have that you don't? She is so wise in these things in the manner in which she talks to me. But you have them too, right? You have them. Those little voices inside of your head that say, nope. God knows what I'm doing behind closed doors, so he can't forgive me from that. I've asked God 50 times to forgive me. He's going to be tired of me now, isn't he? It hasn't happened fast enough, so I must be right. Because I'm going to lean on my own understanding rather than God's and tell myself I am worthless. And that's not what God wants to say to you today. I want you to hang on. I want to get into scriptures and I want to see what it says in the book of Romans chapter 8 where Paul invites us as a result of Christ to live by the Spirit and not by our flesh. In, in Romans chapter 8, reading verses 6 and 7, the scripture says right here, let me get to 6, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And so we're, we're aware that there's a, a battle going inside of us that Pastor Janice shared with us. And, and then we look down at verse 9, though, and Paul says, but church but vineyard but you and you insert your name but you however are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the spirit if and I would encourage you to circle that word if 
Because our God is not necessarily a controlling God. He is a God that invites you to give control of yourself to him. He doesn't take it. He invites you to give it to him. And so he says, but you are not. You are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God if if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Okay, it's kind of simple. Now, when I say if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, just please know that I'm not talking about speaking in tongues and I'm not talking about a whole bunch of other things that get thrown around as if you can do this, you are a Christian. And if you don't, well, I hope there's hope for you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if the Spirit of Christ resides in you because you chose to believe, and as a result of your belief, you chose to get baptized, and as a result of your belief and your baptism and your community of faith, you have chosen to give the Lord your life. That's you that that's talking about, and I want to encourage you. But guess what? It's like I told the crew group um, on campus, the Campus Crusade for Christ group. I got to speak to them this past week. It's like I told them, I wished when I got saved that the Lord would have just waved a wand, given me a pill, touched my life, and I never sinned again. I wish I did not have to keep going back to God and say, Lord, I let that sarcasm come out of my mouth. I let it come out of my keyboard. Usually the Holy Spirit tells me from somebody in the other room saying, did you just hit enter on that for real? <laughs> I guess I can take it down. But I still do it still have to ask God's forgiveness. And I say, God, what are you trying to say to me? And Paul talks about Christians that are facing struggles. In Romans 8, uh, 8 18 and, uh, to 39, and it's, a, it's a chunk of passage, but let's just kind of read it together. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The world is waiting for the people who are going to surrender their life to Jesus to finally surrender their life to Jesus and stop hiding in the shadows, okay? For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Okay? In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And we know these things. 
For who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. He, excuse me, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake... Jesus, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 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 no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that is a powerful 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 scripture i didn't want to run this pat this sermon series out you know like all 52 weeks of this year and so it is there and i'd like to say that you know as we surrender to christ like i said before that if we could just come to the lord we could we could just grab a hold of verse 39 and we would never have another problem but the fact of the matter is we go through struggles we go through temptations we go through pain and we go through suffering but we don't count it as life. We count it as just a, a temporary moment and a blip on the radar before we enter into eternity with God. And in the midst of all of those things, we stop and we say, God, I know you will get me through this. See, my wife and I, you're very aware, I'm sure, that we had a horrible end of our 2019 we did son had a head-on crash you're probably familiar with that story didn't know if he was alive dead um it was it was just scary and then in the midst of that um while i was here for our 10-year celebration my wife they found had a 10 centimeter cyst and and there was convolution there too and it was like god i never said i hate you i'm mad at you you can't be there but i was at the place of just saying lord i know you're gonna get us through this but the thing I had to cling to is we had to go through it. We couldn't go around it. We couldn't go over it. We couldn't go under it. We had to go through it. But it was God that was going to get us through it. It was you praying that buoyed us up in the midst of the trial and the temptation. And I'm just telling you, God is not doing that for me because I'm a pastor. He did it because I'm his child, just like he wants to do for you I promise you there were moments that even as the pastor I was like come on one more thing first it was my son then it was my wife then it was the bills and then it was the and it just kept stacking up it's like is something else gonna go south can we take another thing on top could we just get through this quarter and then something else can come and it just feels like the enemy's winning doesn't it he's not Paul says in all these things he's not winning. But there are times when I say, well, if I was in charge, if God would get off the throne, I'll tell you how we could run this world, and I'm sure I could do a much better job than he is because I have some ideas, and I'm an idea guy. 
I want to sit down at the throne, at the table. I want it to be round. I want God to have a bigger chair than me, but I want to tell him how he ought to be doing things in my life. (laughs) He hasn't invited me to that meeting yet. (laughs) There's another guy in Scripture that did the exact same thing. His name was Job. Things got tough for him. I'm going to be honest with you. It didn't look fair to me. But things got tough for him. And finally he got to the place of saying, I want God to come down here and I want him to tell me why this was happening. I want him to give an account. I want him to be here right now. And then finally, as we get from chapter 1 all the way to 38 chapters, his wife has said absolutely deplorable things. Job, you should just curse God and die. And at that point, Job was like, no, uh, we, we have to receive the rain as well as the sunshine from God. It's going to be all right. But then he gets through his three friends and he's like, are you even friends to me? And he gets out the other side, he's like, God, I'm tired of this. I need you to come down here, and I need you to tell me right now why you're doing this to me. And we get to the 38th chapter, and the scripture says, Then the Lord spoke to Job. Be careful what you ask for, okay? Because the Lord did show up. He spoke to Job out of the storm. And as he's coming to Job, he says, then says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Job, you've got some pretty good ideas, but you are dumber than a rock because you don't have a clue what's going on. And he says, Job, brace yourself like a man because I'm going to start asking the questions now. And you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Go ahead, tell me if you understand, Job. If you have an inkling of an idea, and I wasn't born yet, won't cut it. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the world? And God goes, you ever been in one of those conversations like when you were a kid and your dad just starts grilling you? All right, you just tell me, young man, what you think should happen, okay? And then you tell me how you think I should apply. And you tell me what you really think is going to happen. And who gave you the idea you could do that? He asked like 20 questions in a row. You just only want to answer one. (laughs) But you know that he's asking the question so fast, he don't even want you to answer one. Because if you answer one, you're going to get smacked. And it's going to hurt. Because you've been there before, too. So you just shut up. And all of this comes at you and it hurts. And you think, why God? I got saved in 1977 and 1978. I took a job with a company, a service station supply company in Dayton, Ohio. And I was working there and I was listening to Christian radio every day at noon on my break, on my lunch break, because I thought that's what Christian people did. And, you know, we didn't really have like, you know, K-Love and stuff like that yet. We were still listening to, you know, RFD style Christian. And I'm listening to Chuck Swindoll every, every time, looking, listening to Dr. Dobson every, I didn't have kids and I'm listening to him anyway. And I'm just listening, I just want some Jesus. I want some Jesus. And in the course of that, I would also spend some time praying every day. And I remember going through one of these Job things, and I was just like, God, why did I have to be born in such a difficult, dark, nasty 
full of the devil family. Why couldn't I not? You need to come tell me, God. And I was kind of walking around in the warehouse like this, just saying, God, but why? Why won't you come talk to me, please? Could you just do like Abraham? Could you just do like Moses? Could you just show up and sit down and have a conversation with me? And for no reason whatsoever, a 12-inch box that has the handle, you know, the gas handle, um, one of those nozzles in there, it just slid right out and onto the floor. Right when I was crying out like, God, can't you just come? And it went wham on the floor for no reason whatsoever. Okay, and I peed myself. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean and nasty. I'm just telling you it scared the living daylights out of me. My next prayer was, God, please don't show up and kill me because I haven't gotten married yet and I, there's things I want to do. And I was crying out like the children of Israel. God, put, put, a, put a, a blanket on his head so I don't have to look because surely I'm going to die because I've seen God. God said, you want to talk? <laughs> Box on the floor. No, I don't want to talk. You're right. I don't know what's going on, but what God was trying to lead me in back then was, will you trust me? Can you imagine what would happen if God answered your next prayer just like that? Even that would scare you. Have ever been there when that happened? You said, Lord, I need you. And then boom, somebody walked into the room. And you're like, oh, all of heaven is watching me today. I had better not mess up. <laughs> Such a great cloud of witnesses, Lord. I hear you. I hear you. But it feels good to know that the Lord is listening to you, doesn't it? What are the voices that you're listening to inside of your head, inside of your heart? Because we don't always understand that if we could tell God to do what we want, that everything that we want him to do is connected to everything else. It's what's referred to as the butterfly effect. A butterfly flaps its wings over there. A hurricane hits Thailand over there. And, and that's just a metaphor for what's referred to as the butterfly effect, that everything has consequences. Throw a, 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 a rock in a pond and the ripple effect goes down the creek. Um, rain in northern, northeastern Kentucky and the Mississippi begins to flood down in Mississippi. Everything touches. And so it's probably best that you and I are not in charge of what's going on. But what are the voices that you're listening to in your heart? You're a sinner. God won't speak to you because you're not good enough. You'll never win. It doesn't get any better than this. You're a loser. No one loves you. Do you believe that? You see, it's more important for you and I to understand ourselves through Scripture than it is to try to reason in our own heads. What has the Scripture said to you this morning? The Scripture says, I know that in all things. Did you see that? I know that in all, all, all things. I don't know in their things. I don't know in some things. I know in all things. In all things. You want to say that with me? In all things. I just need you to believe the word all. All. In all things. I need you to get a hold of in 
all things. I know what I have learned in studying for this sermon, what I have learned in reading the book of Romans, what I have learned in chasing after Jesus is that I know. I don't think. I don't have a good idea. I don't wonder. I, I know that in the midst of the fall of 2019, God is working. I know he put people in my life to handle it. He put people in my life to pray for me. He put people in my life to just touch base and say, how are you doing? He put a community of faith in my life, and he wants it in yours too. Because I know that in all things, in all things, in my broken career, I know in my broken career, I know in my struggle with addiction, I know in my broken sexuality, I know, I know, I know, I don't think, I know in my broken finances, I know in my broken marriage, I know in my broken psyche, in here, in here, I know, I know in my broken heart, in rejection, I know, I know. I know in my broken loneliness. I know in my broken parenting. I know. I know. I know in all things. Paul tells us in all of this. It's not what God wanted for us, but in all things, God hasn't left you. He hasn't rejected you. He's not being mean to you. He doesn't think you're worthless. And he's not tired of you. But in all things, I know in all things. I know God works for the good. I know, number one, in all things. I know in everything, not some things. I know, I don't think, I know in all things God works for the good. I know in everything I went through as a kid, the things that happened to me and the bad choices I made, even as a young adult, I know in all things God works for the good. I know it's good that he's working toward. I know it's not anger. I know it's not hellfire and brimstone. I know it's not he's so mad at me he's going to beat it out of me. I know in all things, I know God is working to my good because he is a good God. When I don't like what God is doing and I want to stand outside and shake my fist and say, come on, heaven, even then, God is a good God. I know when things get taken away from me, God is a good God. I know when I suffer loss of personal relationship or family members to death and, 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 and just humanity, I know God is good. He has not changed. He did not get off the throne. He did not abdicate it to Joe Wood. He's sitting there saying, still good. Still waiting on you, Joe. But you're going to have to go through this. I know in all things that my God is still good. And it is that goodness that I trust him. He's not okay. He's not better than something else. He's not the, well, good enough. I know that he is good. And I believe that even in the struggle, the pain, the hurt, the joy, the celebrations, that God is at work. Because he neither sleeps, according to the psalmist, 
nor does he slumber. My God works the night shift. When I rest, he is still working good for me. God is good, therefore. He is working good. Can you imagine that God sent his son to die because he wanted to be mean to you? He wanted to straighten you up and wear you out. Can you pick any situation where God allowed his son to be killed on your behalf because he's madder than a hornet at you? He hasn't changed. He loved us then. We weren't born. He loves us now, what we're going through. He sent his son because he's good, and he wants good for you, and he wants eternity with you, and we need to not lose sight of that. We know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that, right? Can we do that? Then let me give you one more. Stop thinking of yourself as a leftover. Stop thinking of yourself as a less than. More than anything, stop thinking of yourself as unworthy. Your worthiness comes through Christ Jesus and his blood. But I know that in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. I know. I just have to get through it. And it's going to shape me. It's going to change me but it's going to be worth it. If I just keep chasing God in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, if I will subject myself to what he's trying to do to change me, not my partner, not my neighbor, not my, he's trying to change me so that I can be what he wants and what he needs. Do you believe that? Check this out. What you believe really matters and I've come to believe in the last year, two years, that the Lord has said to me that I am no ordinary person. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, we figured that one out a long time ago. <laughs> Ain't nothing right about you. That's how they say it in Kentucky, right? There's nothing right about you. Okay, you're kind of tipped over a little bit, and you're fun, but you scare us to death. I got that part. I don't want to be ordinary. I am not, I'm looking around my culture, and I'm telling you right now, there is nothing about my culture that, wants, that makes me want to be ordinary. Not in the way they manage their finances, not in the way they manage their families, not in the way that they manage their careers, and certainly not in the way they manage their politics, not in the, ma the manner in which they're quick to pick up a rock, not in the manner, in, and, and not, I don't want to be ordinary in this world. I am not interested. The scripture says in one version that um, um, Moses' mother looked at him when he was a tiny baby and they saw that he was no ordinary child. I want to be the not ordinary child. I want to go through life saying I will not conform. I don't want to do that. I want to be building a thing like Noah did for God. I want to be leaving and following God like Abraham did. I want to be leading like Moses just because the people needed a shepherd. I want to be courageous like Joshua and not worry about the size of the army that comes up against me. I want to be dancing and full of worship like King David, a man after God's own heart heart. I want to be faithful like Daniel, walking boldly among lions because God is with me and I am more dangerous than the lions. 
I want to be unattached to this world like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. I want to act at the impulse of God like Elijah at Mount Carmel. I want to be hungry uh, for God like Elisha who demanded a double portion of God's favor. I want to be as honest as John the Baptist when he doubted that Jesus might not be the Messiah and sent his disciples and said, just go ask him if he's the one. Please tell me I got this right because I'm about to lose my head and leave this planet. And I want to be that honest. I want to walk on water like Peter because Jesus is out there. He's not in the common. He's not in the common. I want to climb the tree like Zacchaeus because I want to be desperate and live desperate just to see God moving in somebody's life. I want to be steady to the end like John the disciple, the brother of James, when he was at the cross with Mary. And Jesus looked down from the cross and said, you, Take care of my mama. I'm leaving because this world can't hold me any longer. More than anything, I just wish I could love like Jesus. I don't have any problem loving people who love me. I don't have any problem loving people who disagree with me. I don't have any problem loving people who kick me in the shin. I have a real problem loving people who attack this church and the people of this church. It just fires me up so fast. And I give myself over to it and I have to repent over and over and over again for not loving them like Jesus when they're acting like that. All of these people believed that they were not like the world and they weren't supposed to be like the world. They won because they were looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. They understood staying on earth was not the goal. Therefore, they could completely live and trust God no matter what came down the pike. Didn't matter. Whatever comes, God's got this. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. They were more than conquerors. Paul said to the Romans, we, I, you, are Hooper Nikeo. At this point, the worship team's going to walk out from behind that wall, I hope. But I want you to understand that term, Hooper Nikeo. Hooper Nikeo means we are more than conquerors. We own the field that the game is about to be played on. It's ours. So as we stop and think about what it is that God is saying about who you are, you are hooper nikeo. It's a Greek word, hooper nikeo. It means a conqueror who plays the football game, scores uh, 10 points, the opposing team scores six, and they leave their A team in and run the score up to 50. And the score ends 50 to 6. And while we sit in the stands and think, oh, that's mean. That's mean. That's Hooper Nikeo. Jesus uses us to run the score up on the devil, on the enemy. What do I know today, ladies and gentlemen? I know this. I know in all good things. Not some good things. I know in all things, excuse me, in all things. That's what I know 
Why do I know this? Because God is good. What do I believe about this? You and I, Hooper Nikeo. And we are better together than we are apart. I wonder what your heart has been struggling with this week. You're not good enough. You're not saved enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You're not spiritual enough. God can't use me. God will never use me. Or maybe you're going through a health crisis. God, I just need you to just touch my life somehow, some way. Can we do that? Can we just bring that to God and say, Lord, we want to we, we be touched by you. Today, we don't want to leave this room without knowing, God, that you told us we're Hooper Nikeo, and we can bring that to you. Change our thinking. Change our understanding.